It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My Michelle Live, Psy Tech Talk, taking the God story to a geeky place. Here's Michelle. Science and Technology Tuesday, where we take the world of the God story and we marry it with science and see how well that God story fares. You are going to love what we're taking on today. Now, today, we're not only taking on science, but we're definitely delving into the geeky. There have been many news reports. I'm going to go through the highlights of some just in the last year, and then one that really brings it home that we have an expert on deck to talk about. All right. Uh, In June of last year, was it last year? Yes, the Pentagon released that anticipated report with 144 UFO encounters between 2004 and 2021. It was going to assess the threat posed by unidentified aerial phenomenon, right? Uh, Another news story, alien planets may not look anything like Earth. There was a report uh, that was studied that was published in the Astrophysical Journal in August that says, hey, there's Hycine planets that they may look a little different than Earth, but just because it doesn't look like Earth doesn't mean there can't be life. There was a news report that there are more than 1,700 alien civilizations that have a perfect, have over uh, thousands of years had a perfect view of Earth. And this was published in June in the journal, uh, in the journal Nature. Uh, that w- they, they may have been watching us and they may be curious about us. So they may want to come for a little closer look. And then there was this story. Let me get out of here and actually play this Harvard professor's own words for you. He said, there's space junk out there and we've seen it. Thanks for having me. All right. So tell us what was seen and when. In 2017, uh, the very first object that came from outside the solar system was spotted near Earth. And uh, uh, at first, people thought, well, it must be a rock, just like the asteroids or comets that we have seen before uh, within the solar system. Maybe it was ejected from another planetary system similar to ours. Mm. But uh, as they got more data on it, it looked very weird. Uh, It was... uh, much longer than it was wide. Uh, it ex- exhibited a special push away. Well, I'm not going to go into the entire interview, but suffice it to say, uh, it's been called, if I remember right, Uamuamua, which is a Hawaiian phrase for scout. What? Uh, so he said, this, this is a Harvard professor. This isn't just, you know, Joe Blow with crazy hair uh, talking about uh, aliens that have visited Earth. So there are some big stories, but then there was this one, and this is the one we're going to take on right away. There was a news story that claimed that NASA has hired theologians to kind of help pave the way. This is my paraphrase, to help pave the way or to help you uh, to deal with the inevitability of alien life. How will 
the world handle it when we know for sure? Now, this was an internet rumor that went viral. There is actually some truth to it, but there's a lot of rumor as well that may not be true. We're going to sort through truth and reality. We're even going to dig deep into the possibility of what all of these things mean. And we're going to do it in the meantime, giving you reasons to believe. And now, reasons to believe. Dr. Hugh Ross is the founder and president of Reasons to Believe. He's written dozens and dozens of books. And one book that you will love is this one, Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men. This book really highlights a lot of what we've, not the stories that we've talked about was written before, but it addresses a lot of that and so much more. We'll talk about the book. We'll talk about aliens and we will talk with Dr. Ross. Dr. Ross, big, long setup. Thanks for, you know, you could have knitted a sweater in that time, but I'm so glad that you stayed with me. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Michelle. <laughs> it's always a joy to speak with you. So this, let's just take on this big story. Now, all of those stories are not unlike stories that have come to press before. But the story of NASA engaging theologians to kind of prepare the world is like the next step of creepy. <laughs> Well, I remember seeing it on the internet and saying, this can't possibly be true. The reason why is uh, there's plenty of content available in books on the internet already. Theologians have been commenting on this for 2000 years. So it's nothing new. NASA could have just assigned some employee to go through and read this stuff and they would have everything they would need to know. Well, yeah, but people are thinking unless they know something and they want to, you know, they're going to hire the Franklin Grahams, the Hugh Rosses. Did you get a call, by the way? No, I didn't get a call. Okay, well, then it's a rumor. (laughs) (laughs) No, nobody got a call. (laughs) But you would think that that they, and this is why the rumor mill uh, exists and plays on our fears. Because people are saying, okay, what do they know that we don't know that they've got to hire people that are going to be like, you know, are they going to have counselors in every town? Is there going to be a big reveal? That's that's the crazy part. But let's talk about what's true and what's fiction. Sure. Well, NASA is well connected with the teams that are searching for extraterrestrial intelligence. And uh, that team has already ruled out anything within 300 light years. Uh, Moreover, uh, we've yet to find a star that's sufficiently like the sun, that it could be a candidate around which a planet uh, could orbit it with advanced life. So uh, we don't even have any candidates and NASA is well aware of that. Uh, And they they are quite optimistic that we might be able to find a planet on which you've got microbes, Uh, but they're recognizing, no, we're not finding anything uh, that can permit the existence of advanced life like us. And paper's been published just in the past couple of years making the point we have to be the first uh, because, uh, and the only Ooh. in the sense that it takes a minimum time in the history of the universe to make advanced life possible. And we're here at that very minimum time. And so astronomers have been saying, intelligent life might come after us, but it can't come before us. And because of the light travel time, that means they can't be sending signals to us because they would have had to predate us for that to be possible. 
So there's this some, definitely some optimism in the NASA crowd that maybe we're going to find a planet with microbes on it. Uh, but they're quite well aware, no, we're nowhere near uh, defining any candidates with advanced life beyond planet Earth. Okay, well, let's talk about this news story then. Does, uh, there is some truth to it. How, what part is true and what part is not? Well, everywhere we look in the universe beyond Earth, we see conditions that are hostile for advanced life. And I mean very hostile. So people have been saying, well, maybe we just need to look farther away. And you kind of see that in the Star Wars movies, a galaxy far, far away. Okay. The problem is we've looked at galaxies far, far away, and none of the galaxies we've seen has the characteristics that would permit the possible existence of advanced life. Again, maybe a candidate for microbes, but not a candidate for advanced life. There are 200 features of a Milky Way galaxy that must be fine-tuned. 200 that we know of. There may be more, but at least 200 that must be fine-tuned to make possible the existence of uh, beings that would be at least as advanced as us in their technology. And, uh, you know, so of all, I mean, there is a trillion galaxies in the universe, but we've yet to find one that has the characteristics that uh, meets that, that qualification. So is there no truth then to NASA kind of partnering? Because, you know, from, from what I did re- read, they did say that, well, they've kind of worked in the past. There are other organizations that have delved into this. Um, so someone took that and ran with it is, is what we're looking at, correct? Yeah, there are times when theologians do get together and they address the question, you know, did God create advanced life elsewhere or is this the only place where he's done it? That debate's been going on for 2000 years. The early church fathers debated those issues. So that's not something that's new. Uh, but yes, even within the past year, there have been teams of theologians getting together to discuss those issues. Uh, but it's all based on the idea, hey, when we read the Bible, God seems to really like creating. Why would he stop at one? Uh, but when they oh, talk to the astronomers, the astronomers say, well, maybe, but we don't see any place yet. Uh, and of course, we haven't observed the entirety of the universe. Uh, but everywhere we look, we see conditions that are hostile. Other theologians jump in and say, well, when we read the Gospels, we notice that Jesus frequently refused to perform miracles. And this seems to imply that God only performs the miracles that are necessary to achieve his purpose. And in that case, maybe all he needs is one planet. He doesn't need all the rest. And of course, a lot of theologians ask the question, well, if God only wanted one, why would he waste his time making such a vast universe? Why create a trillion galaxies where those trillion galaxies only add up to a quarter of a percent of all the stuff of the universe? It seems like a great waste. And I've been aware of that been going on for the past 40 years. So that's why I've written a couple of books making the point, the mass of the universe must be exquisitely fine-tuned just to get the chemistry we need for life. If God wanted to make life on one planet, given the laws of physics that he chose, the universe must be exactly the mass that it is, exactly the size that it is, in order for life to be possible in the universe. Make the universe slightly smaller than what we observe, all you get is hydrogen and helium. Makes passing a chemistry class easy, but you're not going to have life. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Dr. Ross' recent books, um, The Creator in the Cosmos, Improbable Planet, uh, another book that uh, talks about our climate, and and, and though it, it, it doesn't delve into alien life, and it, uh, but it does, t- it's uh, called Weathering Climate Change, it does talk about the incredible balance of what we have here on planet earth. It is truly astounding. Now I wanted to talk a little bit about this, this book, which, you know, if we're talking about aliens and prepping people for our absolute obsession with alien life, you have three authors of this book, yourself, an astrophysicist, and you give insight into some of what we've delved in already. The um, cosmological possibilities, of life on other planets, intergalactic travel, uh, and and things of that nature. Um, Kenneth Samples is a philosopher. He teaches logic. He uh, teaches and studies religions and the occult, and he gives some some insight into potential spiritual aspects of what we know as um, encounters, close encounters, we'll say. Um, And then you have Mark Clark, who is a political science professor specializing in military and strategic studies. And he talks uh, in detail about some of the government cover-ups, what they are, uh, Project Blue, Project Grunge, Area 51. So it's a really insightful book, taking it on from three different areas, which merge beautifully. As we go into 2022, Dr. Ross, we are plagued. We have a pandemic, and I'm going to say we've gone beyond a pandemic of corona. We have a pandemic of fear. People are fearful, and we will find things to be fearful of. And once the coronavirus kind of subsides and becomes more everyday, uh, we can maybe return back to aliens attacking us and and taking over life as we know it. Um, But as we do... We're, what you looked at in this book kind of chronicles, look, we have, we have found that the vast majority of uh, air phenomenons and alien counters are explained away by physical phenomenon. There is also an idea that what we haven't seen explained as physical phenomenon will be. So we're just going to chalk it up. But interestingly enough, what I love about your approach is you say, no, 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 wait a minute. That's not science. Science doesn't say, well, it probably is. And the possibility of alien life or the possibility of something else is unlikely. So let's just, we're just going to say it's physical. That's what we do in science now. This is what I believe. And so we're going to put it in this box. And refreshingly, you being a man of faith you're the kind of people that people accuse of doing that very thing and yet you say no 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 let's look let's look deeper let's see what the most likely explanation is well i've been processing ufo reports since i was 16 years of age because i was an amateur astronomer before oh, I was so it goes ahead and ahead. yeah everywhere i went they said hey you know the night sky you get to process all these reports <laughs> Uh, but 99% of what people have reported to me, I could explain as natural phenomena, uh, you know, a hoax uh, or military activity. 
but there's a 1% residual doesn't fall into that category. Now, when I was a, a graduate student, University of Toronto, I took a short course from Carl Sagan. And he just oh. said, there's no such thing about UFOs. Uh, they don't exist. He was totally dismissive. But I realized is, his mantra was the universe is all there is or was or ever will be. He did not believe in the possibility of non-physical reality. As a Christian, I did. And I said, well, you know, when you look at this phenomenon, it's not a tiny database. We're talking tens of millions of sightings. If I applied these eight opportunities. And, uh, you know, in those tens of millions of sightings, there's 2,000 cases where a UFO is observed going through the atmosphere at a velocity of five to 18,000 miles per hour, where we don't hear any sonic boom, we see no heat friction, and it actually crashes into the earth. You go to the crash site, you can see a shallow crater. If there's snow, the snow is melted. The vegetation is consistently damaged. But as you search around the crater site, no debris, no artifacts. Physical objects don't behave that way. When they go through the atmosphere at a high velocity, you always get a sonic boom. You'll always see heat friction. If it crashes into the earth, there's going to be debris to recover. Okay, so, so now I, I want to just interject here. That is very fascinating. Uh, as we advance and put uh, science and logic together, we realize that the uh, laws of physics are constant through the universe. Uh, so it's not as though, well, it's from another, I mean, this would be the mindset of dozens of years ago. Well, it's from another planet. It has different laws of physics. No, it, it can't, not in this universe. So what you're saying uh, is, yeah. You're going to see the same things that you would see. It doesn't matter how advanced you are. We're going to see this, the, the laws of physics apply. Now, everywhere we look in the universe, we see the laws of physics operating. Matter of fact, we can measure the constancy of the laws of physics to about 16 places of the decimal. So, we're, uh, But I'm not alone in writing on this subject amongst scientists. I can name you six physicists, none of whom are Christians, who have devoted 10 or more years to studying the UFO phenomena. What's interesting is they all agree that we're dealing with something interdimensional, something that operates beyond the dimensions of our universe, something outside of our universe. Because there really is, I, I'm going to show this on the screen, uh, just another news story, that there have been extraordinary things happening in the Channel Islands there. You know, you're in California, um, where the Navy has documented these these blips on the radar that move unbelievably slow and then faster than than they can even explain. These are documented. This isn't crazy talk here. Th these There are things that are happening. You said 99%. Yeah, we can explain those away very simply. I mean, a bird with fluorescence, you know, the, the uh, weather balloons, um, drones, but there are, a, a, there's a small percentage that we can't explain away. And you're saying that there are a host of astrophysicists, of scientists that are saying, this must be interdimensional. Why do they say that? They say that because it's violating the laws of physics. If, okay. For example, you just mentioned making like a sharp right angle turn at uh, 18,000 miles per hour. No physical object can do that. Uh, Not so even advanced alien technology. 
No, I mean, you're violating the law of gravity. And so that's not going to work if you're constrained by the physics of this universe. So that's why they draw the conclusion we're dealing with something that's not subject to the space-time dimensions or the laws of physics uh, that are a universe. So they're saying it's beyond the dimensions of uh, the universe. The other thing that's interesting is when you read their books, and again, these are not uh, Christians. They're saying these interdimensional entities uh, mean us harm. Uh, and we see a one-to-one -one correspondence in terms of this UFO phenomena that falls into this 1% category and what we see in witchcraft, the occult, and demonology. So they say whatever's behind the occult and demonology must also be behind these UFOs. And it's consistent too. They don't comment on this to the degree that we do, but in terms of the harmful effects that we see upon human beings, again, there's a one-to-one -one correspondence. And the other thing that we notice that we document in our book, you see a correlation between the percentage of the population in any region that's involved in the occult and the percentage of the population that's having close encounters with this 1% residual of the UFOs. So for example, oh. even here in the United States, we see a higher incidence in Alaska and Hawaii uh, than we do in parts of the Southern states. And that's because there's a different uh, percentage of the people involved in the alcohol. France is a high percentage. Equatorial Brazil is a high percentage. When I went to speak in the Soviet Union in the late 1980s and early 1990s, big percentage, uh, and these were scientists. I was only allowed to speak to scientists. Hmm. A large percentage of scientists were having these close encounters. When I returned to, to Russia in 1994, the percentage had plummeted. Why? Because during the Soviet era, they were sponsoring research on occult physics. Uh, but with the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, that was uh, taken off, and therefore the percentage dropped. Uh, and as I say at the end of our book, if you will close all the doors to occult activity, that will be the end of these close encounters with UFOs. Uh, but if you begin to practice these things in a significant way, it will happen to you. This is a testable hypothesis. Uh, get rid of all the occult in your life. That will be the end of your UFO encounters. And given well, how harmful it is, uh, people are highly motivated. Yes. Well, they they have said that uh, this is uh, another news story. Highly religious Americans are less likely to believe intelligent uh, life exists on other planets, according to a survey. That's that's not just uh, about not believing. It, there really is something to understanding that maybe there is something strange out there, something in the sky, something happening. But it sounds like your line of thinking marries with a lot of other people who are of the religious mindset that says, yeah, there's something happening. Do you ever heard of angels and demons? Now, it's interesting that you say that there's some, this is documentable. You can, you can see that there are correlations. There are likelihoods. There are uh, things that happen with alien encounters that are identical to demonic possession and things. But yet, we're not, we're willing to think that there are aliens that will come and visit us, but we can't we can't even go down the road that there are some kind of angelic, demonic, and and God type stuff going on out there. 
Well, I think that's what you see as you go to different nations of the world. I've traveled a lot. And some nations, everybody believes in demons. Mm. Other nations, hardly anybody does. And it's all, again, based on the occult activity. And uh, I think it's part of Satan's strategy. If he can deceive you into thinking that the world is all there is, just like Carl Sagan, he's got you. Uh, but if he but can also terrify that's not science either. Science no, says, science either, take, right. take it on, take a look at it, examine it, see what it might be, test it, try it, prove it. That's what science is. We've gotten away from that in our society a bit. Well, I mean, everybody looks at the internet and thinks that all that stuff that's there is of equal value and quality. I spend a lot of my time training people how to evaluate internet articles. If you don't see a link to a peer-reviewed scientific paper, uh, then don't give it any credibility. Good web articles will always give you the links to the original sources. So if that's missing, don't waste your time reading it. Well put. Any other tips? <laughs> Well, we could use those, you know, <laughs> now, even the peer review literature. I mean, after all, there are peer reviewed journals that specialize in more speculative science. Mm -hmm. So just recognize if you're getting an article from one of those journals, uh, they allow a lot more latitude. And uh, you really need to read everything on a subject. And what's wonderful is there's sites like PubMed. Uh, there's a NASA site at Harvard, uh, ADSWW dot uh, uh, Harvard EDU. And those sites actually archive tens of thousands of research papers that are being published every month. And therefore you can put into the search engine, uh, a topic you wanna review, 50 papers will pop up. You can read the abstracts for free. They never charge for the abstracts. So it gives you a good idea kind of where the scientific consensus is. You know, people who are disputing what's been published. And as it says in the book of Proverbs, don't just read one side. Uh, look at both sides of an issue. Don't be a fool. Be a wise man. Uh, look at both sides or three sides or four sides of an argument. And what's wonderful about living in the 21st century, today, that's easy to do. That's very well put. You're quite right on that. But let me ask you this. Um, now, we, we might delve in just a little bit more to give some meat to that discussion of the unlikelihood of aliens visiting us. I mean, not just the idea that uh, people say, well, we're insignificant. You know, if there's no God, right, then we are insignificant. So we are, are you know, this medium sun, insignificant. But if there's so much life out there, why the heck would they travel across the vastness of the universe just to visit us? I mean, there's, there's well, that. Well, I've got a chapter, Michelle, in Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men saying we're talking about beings like us that are subject to the laws of physics it violates the laws of physics to cross interstellar space it's something that uh, nasa is now well aware of <coughs> because they're interested in visiting the planet that's orbiting the nearest star to us but hey it's four and a quarter light years away if we're going to get there we're going to have to move at a relatively high velocity so they have a plan to send a spaceship there at about one-tenth to one-fifth the velocity of light. Uh, but interstellar space is not empty. There's particles there. And the faster you move through interstellar space, the more damage is going to be caused to your ship by these particles. And so they've realized the only way we're going to be able to learn anything about this planet is we have to send spaceships 
that are no bigger than 10 centimeters across. And we're gonna need to send a thousand of them. So NASA and Elon Musk are working together to say, let's send a thousand spaceships uh, to this uh, nearest planet outside of our solar system. Uh, a good half of them are gonna be destroyed before they get there. The other half will be damaged, but maybe some of them will be sufficiently undamaged that they'll actually be able to send back some meaningful information to us. Ooh, Bottom line, if you wanna send a life form across interstellar space, it can't be bigger than a termite. Anything bigger than a termite, and you better send lots of termites because most of them are going to get killed before they get there. And so, I don't know. But, I, my vote is for cockroaches. Those things can can endure just about anything. Yeah, but most cockroaches are too big to survive. So, so uh, you have to there send, you go. Little ones. Yeah. There you go. So there is an unlikelihood. Not only that, but one thing I love about the the book "Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men." is that you talk about um, what it takes for the setup of life. In fact, you have like 77 points, if I remember right, from galaxy type, size, cluster, location, white dwarf binaries, uh, seismic and vo uh, volcanic activity, solar wind. If we look at one of those and say the look at uh, galactic tides or the uh, seismic activity, all of uh, size uh, and, and the uh, metallic metal metallic yeah the metal content yeah thank you it in our in our sun if we look at just one of those aspects one of those 77 that you list out just one of them and realize the astronomical chances of, of that actually happening uh and then happening again and then take that time 77 and say yeah and this is uh extremely unlikely and this is extremely unlikely we really do have an unlikely paradise here on planet earth well i'm planning to update the book lights in the sky and little green men because now it's no longer 77 it's over a thousand wow and so it's gotten way way more remote and this is why theologians are saying hey if there's intelligent life out there that's like us, it's because God created it. It's not going to happen naturalistically. Uh, the, you know, I now have developed a calculation. What's the probability we're going to even find a planet or a moon that has the characteristics that permits the existence of life? Not that it produces life, just that it could be a possible habitat. Less than one chance in 10 to the 1,600th power. And to put that in context, that's like winning the California lottery 400 consecutive times where you buy only one ticket each time. So not a very high probability. I kind of feel like I won the lottery in uh, being alive, knowing the gloriousness of this planet and having that connection with God. It's, it's better than winning the lottery, I got to tell you. And it's what makes this conversation so exciting because the more we delve into science and the more we learn, the more we realize that the best explanation comes from a Christian, biblical Christian worldview. And that's absolutely astounding. Uh, but let me ask you this. If there were to be aliens you know as you said if there were god would have had to create it okay fine let's say there were people say well that would boom that would just destroy what would what would christians do then 
That would well, just destroy their, their theology right there. Well, a number of theologians have commented on this and said, if we do find a planet with intelligent life on it, then that just means we have even more evidence for God's miraculous interventions. We oh, know it man, you can't get yeah. away from this God guy. Come you on. You really can't. That would even, <laughs> in fact, I know one theologian who says, I think God did create life elsewhere, so we would actually discover it and get more evidence for God's miraculous interventions of power. <laughs> now, the heavens declare the glory of God. Wouldn't that be a nice aspect of that glory? But, but how, again, then you get into yeah. some of the... Uh, some of the theological ideas of sin, fallen world. Uh, did Adam bring sin into the universe or just planet Earth? Would these people be fallen and in need of a savior? Whoa, what? Yeah, the one passage that may be relevant to that is Hebrews 9 and 10, where it says Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, came to Earth, died one time, one place for, for all, all sinners. For all. And uh, a number of uh, theologians have said that seems to imply that the only place where you got intelligent beings that are spiritual and in need of redemption is planet Earth. And therefore, they said, maybe there's dolphins on another planet. Maybe there's grass on another planet. Well put. Well, they, and you've they... even said that the universe is teeming with life. There is life out there. There's water out there. There are, right? I mean, there's things that are... Uh... Well, you've got... I mean, yeah, the, the universe is soaking wet. Water is the third most abundant molecule in the universe. And so that's what always disturbs me. And NASA says, follow the water. We find water, we're going to find life. Well, it's only one requirement for life. Uh, and what I find interesting is that the liquid water habitable zone is the most generous of the planetary habitable zones. For a planet to be truly habitable, it must simultaneously reside in all 13 of the known habitable zones. And every few months, we discover a new one. And of all the planets we've discovered outside the solar system, now nearly 5,000 such planets, we've yet to find one that resides in even three of those 13 known habitable zones. Earth is alone and being a, a possible habitable planet. Another possibility as we wind down our conversation is uh, the multiverse. And uh, one of your colleagues uh, wrote a book, Who's Afraid of the Multiverse? That was right. Jeff Zwierink, wasn't, was it not? Yes, yeah, Jeff yeah. Zwierink. Uh, so there is that possibility as you talk about interdimensional travel. Um, we're seeing a lot of Hollywood productions that touch on the multiverse. Um, well, Michelle, what back do we in know the about 1980s, that? I've made a comment publicly many times saying the fine-tuning evidence for God designing everything so we can exist is going to become so overwhelming that atheists will have nowhere else to go if I <laughs> hypothesize an infinite number of universes where every universe is different from the other universe, and they're going to say by pure chance we're living in the one lucky universe where everything is just right. But I love what Leonard Susskind said. He's not a believer. Uh, he's a theoretical physicist. And he said, we atheists have got to stop using the multiverse. It's a terrible argument. It explains everything. And an argument that explains everything explains nothing. Now, he dropped it there. What I did in my book, The Crater in the Cosmos, fourth edition, is to give you an analogy. If there's an infinite number of universes where they're all different from one another, 
you're going to have an infinite number of planets that are just like planet Earth. And those infinite number of planet Earths, you're going to have an infinite variety of birch trees. And birch trees have the property that they peel white pieces of bark. But with an infinite variety of birch tree species, one of those species will peel very thin white pieces of bark that are rectangular and measure eight and a half by 11 inches. And these pieces of bark will randomly fall on soil with random chemicals in it. They'll make markings on these pieces of bark. <laughs> and with an infinite number of universes, you're going to get markings that will duplicate uh, all the paragraphs, diagrams, equations, and figures that have been every scientific research paper published since the beginning of human history. Therefore, scientists didn't write those papers. The multiverse did it. <laughs> and you're basically making the point. The multiverse argument against God is philosophically inconsistent. You're not just explaining away God's design. You're explaining away all design. And of course, no one believes that. So there is uh, the logical conclusion or or at least um, examination that would lead us to say all right as we have been talking today about the potential of alien life preparing the masses for theologically for the impact of uh, alien visitation we really do need to be scientific minded and look at not only all possibilities, okay, what's out there, test them, right? Try them, prove them, so to speak. But that does include that biblical worldview. And you say that a biblical worldview best explains what we're seeing out there. And that's where yes. I wanted to bring, bring our conversation and conclusion. Well, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but uh, I came to faith in Christ by looking at the world's holy books. And what I saw in the Bible, uh, it stood alone and saying, test everything, hold fast to that which is good. Other holy books encourage subjective testing. The Bible says, don't believe until you put it to an objective test. Don't you Everything love that? I mean, even that. God is not afraid of of being tested. You know, okay, let's let's yeah, see. He commands Go ahead. us to test everything in multiple times, not just one place. But it also says, hold on to that which is good. You know, I know a lot of people that will put things to the test and say, okay, it's true, uh, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Ooh, hold fast to that which point. is good means you test it, demonstrate that it's true and good, and say, you know what, I'm going to incorporate this into my life. And that's what biblical faith is all about, acting upon what we establish to be true. A lot of people will establish things are true, but they don't act upon it. It takes both to have biblical faith. And that works in science and it works in geology. You know, we incorporate it, it's going to help us to discover more truth. If we just kind of ignore it, uh, that's going to make it more difficult to discover truth in the future. So we need to look at what the evidence is showing us. And there is arguable evidence that there is a creator beyond the confines of the universe, that the universe is <coughs> created for a purpose and humanity seems to be at the center of that purpose. We have a biblical text that <laughs> surprisingly, though written thousands and thousands of years ago, uh, seems to work in 
in concert with science and not against it. Well, it does in the sense that the Bible tells us that humanity is kind of the epitome of God's creation. We're kind of center stage. And uh, you know, a book I got coming out in a few months, Designed at the Core, basically says we see that in the universe as well. Everywhere we look in the universe, uh. we see that things are fine-tuned, that are designed uh, for human beings, and particularly for the redemption, not just of a few human beings, but billions of human beings. So I've been sharing with my secular scientific peers saying, look, I know you're not a Christian, but if you'll simply do your scientific research, from a biblical redemptive perspective, it'll make you a more successful scientist. And put this to the test and see if indeed every event in the universe and Earth and Earth's life and every uh, component, every component, every historical event, if you study it, you'll see it plays some role in making possible the redemption of billions of human beings. And so that's the purpose for which God created the universe, to provide a home for us, but not just a home, uh, that it would be a stage uh, whereby uh, evil and suffering uh, can be eradicated once and for all, and we human beings can be redeemed from our propensity to do things that are counter to our best interests. And that's where we need to conclude with a thought to you as you're watching, listening, or reading, that as you said, Dr. Ross, cling to what is good. If you do the research, go ahead, prove prove Dr. Ross wrong. He doesn't mind. Go ahead. Prove him wrong. Do, do the math yourself. Do the research yourself. But if you come to that conclusion that, wow, there is a loving God at the heart of this universe, then maybe it is time to cling to what is good. That there is a redemptive process at the heart of the universe as well, and a relationship with a true God through his son, Jesus Christ. That's outstanding. Now that's, that's an encounter of the best kind (laughs) that I want to have every day of my life. I'll give you the final word, Dr. Ross. Well, I love how you closed it. Uh, We need to get a close encounter with the one that created us, the one that wants a relationship with us, not just in this creation, but in a new creation where evil and suffering will never exist again. Uh, that's great. And will you still be uh, writing and teaching there? Because I, 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 I'm looking forward to that through eternity. Well, I've just finished a book, Design of the Core. I'm working on a new book on dual revelation. Yeah, I'm not going to stop writing. I love it. I love it. Dr. Ross, uh, Hugh, we've had so much fun with conversations with you through the years, and I just have to thank you and the great folks there at Reasons to Believe for all that you do and encourage our listeners and viewers. Go to reasons.org. There is a link on my Michelle Live, and just get lost in their wonderful blog writings and their their articles, their books are astounding. They're they're deep, they're researched, but they're um, relatable for regular people like you and I. They'll both uh, and Dr. Ross, you do this in in all of your books. You explain things very in very pedestrian everyday ways, but you'll also have sections that go okay. If this is your area of expertise, we're going to go deep. <laughs> feel free to just 
turn those pages if they gloss over you but you 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 do both and I appreciate that I appreciate all that you all do the great books the articles and uh, leading people which is really at the heart of your your mission uh, to see that there's a a book out there of the Bible, but there's a book out there of nature and creation. They work together to tell the story that there is a God and that he loves you. I love that. And I thank you for that. You're very welcome. And we will look forward to next time. A big hello to all the folks there at Reasons to Believe. More SciTech Talk at MyMichelleLive.com.